Welcome, welcome, welcome into A Seminarian and Friends, a podcast where my friends ask me their questions about Jesus, Scripture, the Church, or theology. My name is Kevin Gray, the seminarian who's probably in a class that addresses their quandaries. Today starts a very special series in which my friend Karis, who is a clinical mental health counselor, and I address some topics that I needed help discussing. Karis, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kevin. It is a treat to have you on. And Karis, we're going to start today in Numbers 511 through 31 because you had a question regarding abortion. Yes. So I just want to say before we start the podcast that this is a really difficult topic. We're going to be talking about abortion. And I know that that can be a really triggering subject for some people. Um, So I want to make sure that that's known ahead of time. Our stance here, before we even begin, I want to make sure that it's not our, our message to condemn or hurt anyone who has experienced an abortion or who's considering an abortion. Um, we're going to explore a passage that is in that kind of vein, but if that's a topic that's too heavy for you, we totally understand. Um, I just wanted to make sure it was clear ahead of time that we're going to get a little bit heavy first. So I was scrolling through Facebook not too long ago, and a friend of mine had posted an argument. It was one of those where everyone was arguing about abortion, and a friend of mine had posted that the Bible actually condones abortion, um, and that God himself set a precedent for it in the book of Numbers. So I called up Kevin, and I said, hey, what do you think about this? Let's talk about it. Yeah, so we are going to talk about it here. Before we get into it, I'm going to read the passage. Uh, Like I mentioned, it's Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through 31. If you have your Bible with you, flip to it. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV translation today. I usually read from the ESV, but today is the NIV. So it goes like this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. If any man's wife goes astray and breaks faith with him, If a man lies with her sexually, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she is undetected, though she has defiled herself, and there is no witness against her, since she was not taken in the act, and if the spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife, who has defiled herself, or if the spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife, though she has not defiled herself, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest, and bring the offering required of her, a tenth of an ephah of barley flour. He shall pour no oil on it, and put no frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of remembrance, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near, and set her before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware vessel, and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, and put it in the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and unbind the hair of the woman's head and place in her hands the grain offering of remembrance, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in his hand, the priest shall have the water of bitterness that brings the curse. Then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority, be free from this water of bitterness that brings the curse. But... If you have gone astray, though you are under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself, and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then, parenthetically, let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse, and say to the woman, 
The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people. When the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell. May this water that brings the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. Then the priest shall write these curses in a book and wash them off into the water of bitterness. And he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings the curse. And the water that brings the curse shall enter into her and cause bitter pain. And the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy out of the woman's hand and shall wave the grain offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as its memorial portion and burn it on the altar. And afterwards shall make the woman drink the water. And when he has made her drink the water, then if she has defiled herself, and has broken faith with her husband, the water that brings the curse shall enter into her and cause bitter pain. And her womb shall swell, and her thigh shall fall away. And the woman shall become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive children. This is the law in cases of jealousy, when a wife, though under her husband's authority, goes astray, and defiles herself, or when the spirit of jealousy comes over a man and he is jealous of his wife. Then he shall set the woman before the Lord, and the priest shall carry out for her all this law. The man shall be free from iniquity, but the woman shall bear her iniquity. So that was a long passage, uh, and there was a lot of repetition. Basically, a quick synopsis is that if a woman is suspected of adultery, then her husband can alert the priest and there's this test if you will uh, to see if she has been faithful or not and i want to hone in on a couple words the crux of of this question comes with a little bit of translation cultural difference so i read in verse 22 it says may this water that brings the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away and so the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean for a womb to swell or a thigh to fall away? And a lot of translations like uh, the NIV I just read and the ESV that I, that I normally read translate it as thigh falling away. But when I did a little bit of research, I learned that Jewish euphemism for miscarriage is thigh falling away. And so there's this curse that happens and there's a miscarriage that happens. So why is it okay for God to cause a miscarriage for these women? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mentioned the word curse and, and the passage said it a couple times. We need to understand curse and covenant curses. In scripture, it, particularly the Mosaic covenant, which is the covenant that God gave to the Israelites right after pulling them out of slavery in Egypt. He gave them punishments for sin, curses. This curse is a punishment for infidelity. Now, I mentioned this covenant a little bit. Paul, later, thousands of years later, calls this a ministry of condemnation, where the point of the law was to expose the sin of the people so that they would look for a savior. 
But in the middle of this covenant, like in Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy 28, God gave the Israelites a list of blessings that they would receive if they obeyed the covenant, and then a very long list of these curses that he would send on the people as justice and as judgment for their sin or covenant infidelity. And in Deuteronomy 28, it specifically lists miscarriages as one of those curses. So is there an example of this happening in scripture? Yeah, so many years after God initially gives them this covenant, this law, they're in the promised land and God raises up this man named David and he is the king. And the beginning of his life and reign is very successful and he's the ideal king in Israel until one episode happens and the the writers give us a little bit of a hint that what was about to happen was sinful. And so it says, in the springtime when the kings are off fighting in wars, and then it, the narrative zooms in on David hanging out in his balcony, not doing what kings do in spring and not fighting in a war. Instead, he's watching over his city and he sees a beautiful woman bathing, who's not his wife. And he stares at her and eventually decides that he wants to make her his wife. So he seizes her effectively and they sleep together and to cover up this sin, he has his, her husband, Uriah, murdered on the front lines because he was fighting for King David and Israel in the army. But the sin gets out anyway, people find out, David is confronted and through a prophet, God tells him that as a result of his sin with Bathsheba, where he slept with her and she conceived, God told him that his son, that he had just conceived with her, would die as judgment for his sin. So there's a, a perfect example of how this law in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus shaped the storyline and the day-to-day -day lives of the Israelites. So in scripture, every time we see miscarriage and barrenness, is that because of infidelity? No, it is not. And there are several examples of that. So Samuel, a little bit before David, was uh, born by Hannah. But before he was born, Hannah was actually barren as a result of just general sin, not like a one-to-one uh, Hannah did this one sin and it was justice. It was just generally Israel as a whole was unfaithful to the covenant and that was kind of the result. There was barrenness happening. But there are other examples of barrenness that have nothing to do with specific sin or general sin. Like in Genesis, Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, was barren for years and years and years and years. We're not given a, a reason why, but we know that God was, was overseeing it, and eventually, in his timing, he gave Sarah a son named Isaac. So it was a little bit of, of God's timing and not Sarah or Abraham's sin. And we see that, we see examples of that Elsewhere, like in the book of Judges, Samson was one of the judges that God raised up to deliver 
Israel. His mother was barren until she gave birth to Samson. They're examples throughout scripture of God intervening into history and sending barrenness for a period for his purposes and plans. And then if we move forward to the New Testament, there's a story in John 9 where a man is blind and the religious leaders ask Jesus, well, did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus said, no, this is for the glory of God. We see in life that sometimes things happen and it's not always a direct result of sin. It could be general sin because we live in a fallen world. It could be according to God's plan. It's possible that we might not understand why it's happening. And Ecclesiastes speaks to this saying that life can be enigmatic or unfathomable because of God's purposes. But I want to emphasize and point out that we are under a different covenant from the Israelites. So when Jesus came, he ratified a new covenant with his blood by dying on the cross and rising again, and he ushered in the age of grace, where Paul, instead of before he had called it the ministry of condemnation, Paul describes this new covenant that we're under because of Jesus's death and resurrection as a ministry of righteousness. Because of that, the way that God deals with us is different, and we are not subject to these covenant blessings and cursings in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Do miscarriages today happen because of infidelity? Miscarriages today are not the direct result of sin today. So if miscarriages happen today, and they do, so when miscarriages happen today, it is more associated with we live in a fallen world and sometimes bad things just happen and we can't understand why they happen. So coming back to my original question, there's this passage here in Numbers where it sounds like God is causing a miscarriage to happen. Um, some could argue that he's causing he's aborting a fetus, so he's causing an abortion to happen. Why is that okay? It is okay because one, God is God and sovereign. And he is dealing with humanity according to his faithful and just law. When we see this example, again, we're in the Mosaic Covenant, so a different covenant from where we are right now. And he is obeying perfectly the law that he had given to humanity, saying, this is how I'm going to run the world that I have created, and this is how I'm going to deal with the people that I have saved and redeemed out of Egypt. So he said sin is very serious and it demands punishment and justice and this is in my infinite wisdom and goodness the right punishment for infidelity for adultery to cause miscarriage not con uh, not condoning an abortion. Okay. So what I'm hearing is Outside of this passage, we are not no longer under the law. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm hearing you say that today God does not cause abortion, nor does he condone it. Is that correct? Yeah, he, he does not condone abortion at all. He always says that abortion 
is wrong. Okay. So that answers my question. Um, and I just kind of wanted to close with kind of giving in, giving my two cents. Um, the church has made its stance very clear on this position. Um, possibly at times too clear in a way that we haven't shown appropriate grace to people who have had abortions or who perform abortions or who are considering abortions. Um, God's plan, I believe, and it's the stance of this podcast, is to not have abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also grace for those who have had abortions. There's grace um, for those who are considering abortion. And it's my belief that if you've been there or if you are there, God's still here for you. Jesus still died for you, regardless of if you have or have not had an abortion. Um, And ultimately, that is God's plan. God's plan is for grace for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. There is grace available because Jesus lived perfectly, and he offered that perfect life as a sacrifice before the Father. He was crucified uh, to pay for sin, and he rose again revealing that he couldn't be held down by death and in his gracious love he offers that life and forgiveness and grace and healing to people who will turn to him and accept his grace i also just want to say if you are someone who has been hurt by the church's stance on this position on this particular topic i'm sorry i'm sorry that we haven't done a good job of loving people well in this area um and in saying it's god's plan for us to not have abortions like it needs to also be added like it's god's plan for the church to step up and help women who are in that position absolutely um regardless of the circumstance to help women who are in that position before during and after the pregnancy um so i want to just step up and apologize on behalf of the church that we haven't done a good job of that and it's my prayer to anyone who has been hurt that they will have an opportunity to experience god's healing yeah, I will echo that. Karis, thank you so much uh, for hopping on this podcast. We're going to have you on for a couple more as we discuss some other topics that I just wanted some help addressing. So once again, thank you for being on here in the next few. And friends, if, if you have any more questions, please continue to send them my way. I love doing this, and I pray that it blesses you and encourages you and uh, helps you draw nearer to the throne of grace. Soli Deo Gloria.